0: Looks like a on Bailey. Who is Drexler guarding? Drexler's staying inside. Looks like he might be on Charles. Oh, dangerous pass.
1: No, it's the half-court trap that Houston's using. Now, Jim Valvano might not have anticipated this,
2: so he'd probably call that time out if a player gets in trouble.
3: He has these three guards in there now as Gannon's in there with Wittenberg and Lowe.
2: Down to 25 seconds. Dangerous pass.
3: This is a really interesting strategy by Houston. They're aggressive now. Not
2: staying back. Well, Remember, they have a team in there for, to block anything that goes inside. Down to 14 seconds. Oh, almost stolen by Drexler. Boy, oh, is he good at they that. They've got to drive to the basket. It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg. Oh, that's a long way. Oh! A... They won
0: it! I'm the dunk.
1: Rest in peace, Billy Packer.
0: And the Rappaport broadcasting system is the All Sports Cable Network's Sports
3: Central. Well, since we did not have Mike here for the live show earlier in the past week, we did for the 49ers-Cowboys divisional round game. Mike, you've now finally seen the footage. What was your thoughts about that final play?
1: Well, first off, I thought there was a rule in football that you had to have a certain amount of people on the offensive line. I I thought you needed at least three or possibly five, uh, maybe even six. Maybe you need to have a tight end in that mix. And the offense is lined up with just Ezekiel Elliott at center. And that's not going to work. As I told Greg and Chico uh, after I saw this, That was akin to the end of the Patriots-Raiders game. Uh, I think it was like week 18 or week 17. It was right near the end of the season where there was an interception uh, thrown by Mac Jones or uh, some sort of of turnover by the Patriots, and Chandler Jones picks it up and absolutely levels, just steamrolls Mac Jones and goes in for the game-winning touchdown. I legit thought this was an even worse hit than this. Uh, Not necessarily worse as in illegal, but just harder. uh, Because Zika Elliott was thrown to the ground. And just the whole idea of what they're trying to do, that was absolutely horrible. Plus also I thought, again, with the minimum number of people on the line, it looked like they had like seven or eight whiteouts. Yes. I've never seen seven or eight wideouts line up. I've seen like five, you know, whenever they do like a uh, a Hail Mary type of situation, yeah, you get like five wide receivers and you get like your six or seven DBs to prevent it. But I've never seen anything with like seven or eight wideouts. So again, the formation I'm calling into question not just because it's stupid but also because I thought it's illegal. I thought you have to have a minimum
3: number of people on the offensive line. Well, apparently not. But you know what? That was hilarious. (laughs) Seeing Ezekiel Elliott fall to the ground.
1: That was hilarious. It's always funny seeing the Cowboys lose. Sorry, Brandon, I know you're listening. But that just made zero sense. None. I mean, if you wanted to do the uh, lateral city or whatever you want to talk about. I mean, you could have a line a, a five person offensive line plus a tight end there and, and do that with, you know, uh, an empty backfield with five wide receivers or whatnot. That just didn't make a lick of sense. I've never seen an offensive arrangement like that again, with one offensive lineman. Who's not even an, an offensive lineman. He's a running back. That. What the heck
3: were you thinking down there? I know. Stupid. Stupid. Well, Mike McCarthy, everybody.
1: Makes Nathaniel Hackett look like a genius.
3: Oh. Oh, boy. Don't get get me started on that.
1: Well, I, I think it's six of one half dozen of the other.
3: All right. Theme song.
1: This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher!
0: Control! Happy before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, Episode
3: 345, Submission 704. Good Sports! Good Sports aired on CBS. From January 10th to July 13th, 1991, for a total of 15 episodes. And now here's the Al Green theme song full of sexiness.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm going to say it right now. That theme song is a bop.
3: Oh, it's a banger. It is a banger.
2: As the kids would say, that theme song slaps. You know what else slaps? What? Working with your ex.
3: Oh, yes. It always sucks when you work with your ex-girlfriend. It does.
2: Although, from what I understand, Farrah Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill, and my sister's here so she can back me up. Barra Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill, they were married, right? I believe they were. They were married. And they got divorced, but they still remained good friends. They were still cordial, right? I believe they
3: were. That's good.
2: Yeah. So, you would imagine that the comedy and the chemistry would be there for this show. Especially given all of the talented minds who were behind it. I mean, it was created by a genius in the field, Alan Zweibel. I believe we all remember him working with uh, Gary Shandling on its It's Gary Shandling's show.
3: Oh yeah. Best theme song ever.
2: I can't argue with this. So you have him and then it's produced by the brilliant minds of Brad gray and Bernie Brillstein who are just, Absolute tops in their field.
3: So you're thinking, okay, this can't go wrong, all right? This can't go wrong. And, well, unfortunately, this didn't last.
2: Yeah. We'll get into why in a moment. Yes. But first, let's get into who. We already mentioned Barra Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill, Or, I guess... If we're going by the credits, it would be Farrah Fawcett versus Ryan O'Neal. That's the
3: best! It's not Farrah Fawcett and Ryan O'Neal. It's Farrah Fawcett versus Ryan O'Neal.
2: Yeah, because it's like, each episode was billed as like, a battle of wits, almost. It's like, who's gonna end up on top? We have Farrah Fawcett, who is the seasoned veteran sports anchor.
3: And then we got Ryan O'Neill, who's the dumb jock-turned-sportscaster.
2: Yeah. Uh, by the way, the seasoned veteran, Gail Roberts. A former Miss America who went to college with the former jock-turned-ex-con Bobby Tannen, played by Ryan O'Neill. And all of this is fleshed out in the pilot. They did go to school together. They met at a party. But Bobby doesn't remember Gail.
3: Yes. So they had sex. But he does not remember
2: ever having sex with
3: her. Which is embarrassing.
2: For a number of reasons.
3: For a number of reasons. But okay, the circumstances as to... Hold on, Mike's got a question.
1: Okay, do you think Wilt Chamberlain remembered every single of the 20,000 women he
3: banged? Maybe he has Marilyn Henner's memory, Mike. Maybe he's got a diary. Who knows?
2: Maybe he was going by uh, MC Hammer's uh, impersonation of him on Saturday Night Live. What? MC Hammer played an impersonation of Wilt Chamberlain recalling all of the people he banged.
1: That's the uh, ending, if I can uh, find it, right there. That is, I wish I'm I was kidding. I'm, it. I, I'm just putting it right out there, and this is not going to be edited out. If I can find it, that's your
3: ending. There you go, folks. Stick around. You know what my reaction was to that, Chico? What is it? Oh man, oh god, oh man, oh god, oh man, oh man, oh god, oh
2: man,
0: oh god, oh man, oh god, oh man, oh god, oh man, oh god.
3: And you see, it's funny because that was done by Ryan O'Neill. You know what my reaction
1: was? Will Chamberlain, he was too legit to quit.
2: Good night, everybody.
1: Too
3: legit.
1: Too legit to quit. Hey! Hey! So yeah, what were we talking about?
3: Okay. Now, Chico, can you explain the circumstances to how Ryan O'Neal gets on this sports show?
2: Okay. In the first episode, which this set is from, we have Gail, who is anchoring... A sports center like show called Sports Central with a person by the name of Stu Ramsey, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Stu Ramsey, who, by the way, is played by Arthur Burkhart, they were doing a sort of Stump Stew segment. In fact, that's the name of the segment. It's Stump Stew, where a person watching the show, would mail in a letter to see if they could stump Stew.
3: That's right. This was in the days when you'd have to mail, actually send something in the mail to somebody yes. in hopes kids, it would be read.
2: Kids, ask your parents about interacting with your favorite shows via snail mail.
3: But okay, the question I believe is, who had the most pinch hit home runs? And Stu is like, Oh my god, I can't get this right. Oh, oh. It's like,
2: Oh, I can't, oh, oh, I can't. Stu. Stu. And then I think this question actually drove him to a stroke because he drops dead right there. <laughs> <laughs> and at the funeral, we meet. Bobby Tannen, who crashes the funeral and asks R.J. Rappaport, who is a billionaire, for a job.
3: Yeah, he's the guy that runs the whole operation. He's like the Ted Turner of this universe.
2: Yes, Ted Turner, if he was played by the guy who played Perry White in Lois and Clark.
3: Oh, excuse me, hold on. You mean the guy who played... Coach Jack Riley, the biggest jackass in Minnesota Wee hockey in the Mighty Ducks. Oh, and by the way, no coincidence, look what I'm wearing right now.
2: I, I see what you're wearing right now, and frankly, it is it is very nice.
3: It is a District 5 Ducks hockey shirt that I got on Public for like 13 bucks.
2: That shirt is a real game changer.
3: Yeah. By the way, R.J. Rapport played by Lane Smith, obviously.
2: Yes. Because, obviously, it's Lane Smith. And it's time, once again, to play... Is This Typecasting? Yes. This has been... Is This Typecasting? Also in the cast, we have Brian Doyle Murray... Who plays... John Mack McKinney. And, of course, Brian Doyle Murray brother of Bill Murray.
1: Well, also, now come on, we gotta say more than that. He was the boss in Christmas Vacation!
2: He was the boss in Christmas Vacation,
3: yes. He gave Clark that membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. Mm-hmm. The gift that keeps on giving the whole year. But we did talk about him get a life.
2: Yes, we did. <laughs> okay. And also... <laughs> working with uh, Gale and Bobby, Cleavent Derricks, who, of course, you would remember as Rembrandt Crying Man Brown on all 87 episodes of one of my favorite underrated gems, Sliders.
3: Yeah. I like to pretend that everything after Fox doesn't exist in my mind.
2: You do not acknowledge the sci-fi run, then.
3: Yes, I don't acknowledge that. That never happened in my mind. Didn't happen but check out the name
2: of his character,
3: Greg. Oh, yes. His character name is Jeff Musburger. If I may steal a line from you, Chico. Does this look like anything?
2: That's basically a shot across the bow at CBS at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I think
3: that's a shot at Brent because he got fired the
2: year before. Yeah, and Cleavon Derricks, who was expected to take Stu Ramsey's uh, position, kind of sort of gets fired and rehired at the same time.
3: Oh, oh yeah, because one thing you have to understand about RJ Rappaport is he's like Steinbrenner. That's not a clue of what happens later, but it's totally a clue to what happens later. But the thing about RJ Rappaport is he hires and fires everybody.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, that's a Steinbrenner right there.
2: I'm playing the role of Missy Van Johnson, who works the newsroom at RSCN. That's the name of the network, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Something like that.
2: Yeah, it's Christine Dunford, who was in Future Entry Cowboy Bebop.
1: Hey, she was on two episodes of Seinfeld. Oh, that's terrific. Which two? Which two? Which two? Uh, She was on The Baby
3: Shower. Oh, The Baby Shower. And the pie. The pie! Yeah. I could use some pie right now.
2: Mm. Pie. And then we have a character named Leash, played by veritable legend here. Paul Feig.
3: That's right, the most famous
2: contestant that ever came out of Pyramid, am I right? Uh, I... Yeah. I was go- I was gonna make a case for Kathy N Jimmy, but yes, you are correct.
3: Or Constance McCashin. You could have said Constance McCashin,
2: but Those are the top three. Paul Fig, Kathy and Jimmy, Constance McCashin.
1: Total disrespect to David Grow. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Total disrespect to David Grow right there. Mm. And Cass- he's Oh Wait, to... wait, and you guys are disrespecting somebody from the
3: legendary Police Academy franchise? That's unlike you too. Okay, from the celebrity wing, yes. But I mean, as far as a like, straight-up contestant.
2: He was a contestant. Oh, he was? I didn't realize this. I, I thought okay. you were talking about being a contestant because that's who I remember him. He was a contestant. Okay, okay. well, if he was a
3: contestant, that changes the game. Yes, okay. Number one. Prove my point.
1: Okay. There you go. Yeah. All right. P- P- Police Academy rules around here.
2: Yes. And we have a person who only appeared in the pilot but was credited in the pilot. Playing the role of Mrs. Tannen. Yes. Bobby's mama. <laughs> That's right. Bobby has a mama's boy. <laughs> Lois Smith, who was in one episode of the recently canceled Gossip Girl reboot.
3: Oh, Gossip Girl reboot. Oh, I didn't watch it.
2: I didn't watch it either. No. But she was in four episodes as Adele Stackhouse, Sookie's mama, on True Blood. Oh, so that means
3: she was friggin... What's her face? She uh, was Anna, Anna
2: Packwood's pa- pa- pa-
3: mama. Yeah, that's right. She was Anna Packwood's pa- 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 mama. And you know the one reason why you watched Drew Blood was, and I won't say no
2: more. It's a show on HBO. Take a guess. Take a guess. What the hell is that? That's Mugenics. We have all of these good sports together, making a show within a show. Yes. A has-been former player for the Green Bay Packers.
3: And, hold on, he was also on the Jets Super Bowl team. They established this in the
2: pilot too. Okay, so he was apparently traded from the The Jets Jets
3: to the Packers. And then later on, hold on a second, he writes a tell-all book about his time with the Raiders. Okay, you ready for what the title of his book was about his tell-all book with the Raiders?
2: I'm ready for this.
3: Okay, Mike, are you ready for this? Oh, I can't wait to hear this. It's called... Panty Raiders. Oh boy. And do you know who takes giant issue with this in the pilot episode about Bobby Tannen's book Panty Raiders? Who? Somebody we talked about back in episode 89, Lyle Alzado.
2: And all of this is fleshed out in the pilot.
3: That's right.
2: Also in the pilot playing themselves. Fred Travelina.
3: That's right, because as we established, Mr. Rappaport, he's the dead Turner of this universe. So his studio has, like, everything. There's, like, a religious channel. There's, like, a comedy channel.
2: You know what the name of the comedy channel is? What is it, Chico? I can't believe I'm about to say this. <laughs> Rapaport. <laughs> Jeez. Rapaport. Points for creativity, there.
3: <laughs> and there's Fred Javelina doing a stand-up set just randomly in the background. But, okay, also playing himself, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And as we're recording this right now, LeBron James is close to breaking his NBA all-time scoring record.
2: 158 points away. Yes. Their first assignment together was Gale interviewing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with prepared questions and Bobby pretty much half-assing it as he goes.
3: Yes, pretty much. Just half-assing it. But okay, hold on a second. Playing Gale's boyfriend, Nick Calder, he's going to be very important later on this series, Okay. Okay. Believe it or not, it's William Cat.
2: You can't hear it right now, but I'm shaking my head.
3: I know your reaction was when I said, believe it or not, your reaction was probably, who could it be? Well, believe it or not, it's William Cat.
2: <laughs> Still shaking my head.
1: Greg, my first thought after you said, believe it or not, I thought you were going to say that Jack
3: Palance was somehow in this show. Oh, that would have been terrific. That would have made 1991 even more his year of City Sluggers. And that. Oh, yeah, that, that was his year, yeah. And that cologne commercial. By Menon. <sighs>
1: That's our callback anytime we talk about Jack Palance, apparently.
2: Oh, but yes. And uh, of course, we mentioned uh, Arthur Burkhardt as Stu Ramsey, known mostly for playing voices on G.I. Joe and the Transformers, the movie. He was Devastator.
3: Ooh, Devastator. And one
1: more name in that pilot episode. Playing Nina Logan. Molly Cheek. And we referred to this show earlier when we were talking about Alan Zweibel. She was on It's Gary Shandling Show. She was Nancy.
2: That's right. Yep. She was like half the reason why I watched It's Gary Shandling Show back in the day. What? She was funny and she was cute.
1: Yeah. Chico, I'm sorry. I watched It's Gary Shanley show in part because Scott Nemus, because he was the dorky teenager, a very relatable character at that time of my life.
2: Did you ever want to play a violent game of darts?
1: Every single day.
2: Nice. All right. Episode two Gail wouldn't do that.
3: No, she wouldn't do that. She wouldn't have a fling with Poppy (laughs) Tan. With, uh, in college oh hold on a second one thing i forgot to mention in the pilot episode now we find out that gail's last name on the show gail roberts is not actually her real last name do you want to know what her real last name is
2: yes i do
3: okay her real last name is gordon her real name is Gail Gordon. Get it? I get it.
2: I, I It works on two levels. One, obviously, and two, how many journalists do you know have a stage name, a nom de guerre, if you will? How many Kenny Brocklsteins do you know who became Kent Brockman, if you will?
3: Thanks, Dusty. All right, episode two.
2: Episode two. Gail wouldn't do that.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. Bobby tells Rappaport about his fling with Gail 20 years before and sued everybody in the whole office. Knows. Everybody in the whole office knows they effed they in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to say I'm
2: going to say it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. <sighs> Gail Roberts!
3: Oh yeah, you're doing the She-Hulk.
2: After yes, the movie. I am!
3: Terrific. Oh, you know who plays himself in this episode? Doing a I stand-up believe- set on rap Port? Richard Belzer. So does this mean that good sports is part of the John Munch cinematic universe?
2: Why, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, before Richard Belzer was a serious, dramatic actor, he was a comedian just trying to get by.
1: No, he wasn't just trying to get by. He was a good comedian back in the day. Oh, oh,
3: yeah. He had his own uh, talk show on a lifetime, if you remember, back in the day. Oh, by the way, have you ever seen the famous incident with Hulk Hogan on his talk show before WrestleMania? No, I have not. Okay, well, let me explain this to you. So Hulk Hogan has Richard Belzer in a headlock and I think it literally cuts the flow of oxygen from his brain and he shoot hits his head on the freaking stage and he actually like sued the Hulkster and won a lot of money yeah like his head like you can see it like his head was like busted open it was like
0: front face lock by the Hulkster what a punishing hole this is. Absolutely. Ask Richard Belzer.
2: Oh wow.
1: Yeah. Oh wow. Episode 3 is titled Moving In. New tenant Bobby accidentally burns down
3: Gale's building. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
2: Uh-oh.
3: Okay, I should establish that in this episode. Bobby buys a property that's next to Gail's house, which it's like, oh my God, why would you want to live next door? Literally next door to your ex-girlfriend slash broadcast partner. But okay, here's a hilarity ensues moment. Bobby accidentally burns his and her house. Oh no. (laughs) That's horrible. Yes. And one notable guest star in Episode 3 is former Washington quarterback Doug Williams, who, of course, was the MVP of Super Bowl XXII and the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl. They're bringing out all the big names. Yeah.
2: Episode 4, the bigger they are, the harder they hit. Gale wants to tackle football's Jim Brown after he runs through Missy during an interview. Ouch. Obviously, Jim Brown's in this episode.
3: Oh, yes. But we find out something about Jim Brown. He used to play the harp. And it's like the whole thing is like nothing will penetrate Jim Brown. And Gale tells the story. He finds out you were just a kid and you wanted to play the harp. And it's like, oh, yeah, his persona as an athlete, as a macho man. Now he's just a big softy who just wanted to play the harp. <laughs> and in the end, he's playing the harp, Jim Brown.
1: Well, Jim Brown, he could do anything. I mean, we know his football success, but also he was an All-American at Syracuse back in the 50s in lacrosse.
3: That's right.
1: So, yeah, yeah. don't doubt Jim Brown's ability at anything. He can probably do whatever he wants. Yep.
2: And uh, also mentioned on TV Guide, where we're getting all the uh, episode capsules from, playing themselves, Caitlyn Jenner.
3: Yes. Obviously, back when she was Bruce. Yes. Episode 5. John McKinney is a no-yes man. Mr. Rappaport cans Bobby and Gale if they each conflict... With George Steinbrenner. So, yes, folks, playing himself in this episode, the boss, George Steinbrenner.
2: Wow. RJ Rappaport and George Steinbrenner in the same building. The building would just blow up with all of the ego, you know?
3: Yes. So, yeah, this is when (laughs) Rappaport is like nuts and he's just. Being like Steinberg, he's hiring and firing everybody. He's like, you're hired. Now you're fired. You're hired. And he's just gone completely nuts. But I should note, this was during the period when George was suspended from baseball for a couple of years for the whole thing with Dave Winfield, if you remember.
2: I do remember.
3: Yeah, because I think, didn't he like pay a gambler to dig up dirt on Dave Winfield?
2: I believe that is how the story goes. In fact, uh, January 1990, according to uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks fan site at SB Nation, the Yankees owner, George Steinbrenner, paid $40,000 to former gambler Howard Spira for Dirt on Winfield and the Winfield Foundation. Spira had been an unpaid publicist for the foundation the previous decade, however... He had now got himself into a large hole, owing a total of 100000 to various bookies with mob connections. On hearing the latest Winfield lawsuit, he approached Steinbrenner and said he could provide proof that Winfield had been squandering his foundation's money on trysts with girlfriends. Steinbrenner refused to pay more and got Spira charged with extortion, allegedly using his connections in the Tampa FBI office. While admitting the 40000 his explanations for the payment proved volatile, initially claiming that he paid Spira out of the goodness of his... <laughs> oh, jeez. He then went on to say Spira threatened his family or hinted he would tell the press about Lou Pinella's gambling habit. Regardless of the cause, it was pretty clear contravention of baseball's biggest no-no, don't associate with gamblers, and so Commissioner Faye Vincent took An
3: interest. An interest?
2: An interest. Okay. In July 30th, 1990, Vincent banned the man who had just been labeled the most hated man in baseball on the cover of Newsweek for the game for life. The weird thing, it was Steinbrenner who requested the ban instead of the two-year suspension originally suggested by Vincent. At the time, George thought a suspension would mean he would lose his position as vice president of the United States Olympic Committee. At the time, Steinbrenner was tired of the game, but, as so often, changed his mind and Vincent relented and revoked the lifetime ban. Shortly after two years had passed.
3: And the rest is history. Yep. Stick Michael drafted some guys like Some guys named Derek Jeter and uh, signed some guys named Mariano Rivera and Jorge Posada. And, you know, the rest. Episode six.
1: Wait, 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 wait. God, we're not going to add trading for Paul O'Neill to that list.
3: Oh, that's right. Yeah. He traded for Paul O'Neill, too. I forgot about Paul O'Neill. Oh, that was a master move right there. Oh, I think it was Roberto Kelly. He traded
1: him for. Remember, he was really good for like uh, a week or two in like 1989
3: or 1990. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't work out too well. No, didn't work out well for the Reds. Well, it didn't work out for the Reds. It worked out perfectly for the Yankees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he just got his number retired, too, last year, Paul O'Neill.
0: Mr. O'Neill? Yeah.
3: Yeah. uh, Look, uh, you don't know
0: me. I, I can give you an autograph there, but uh, my pen's kind of screwed up, and you probably only get like half a pee or something.
1: No, no, no it's not that. See, uh, it's about a little boy in the hospital. I was
3: wondering if you could do something to lift his spirits. Sure, I can help you there. Yeah, yeah. well, I promised him that you would hit him two home runs today. <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, a couple of dingers. You promised a kid in, in the hospital that I'd hit two home runs. Yeah, well, no good? No, it's no good. It's terrible. I mean, you, just, you don't hit home runs like that. It's hard to hit home runs, and where the heck do you get two from? Well, two is better than one. You just, you just, that's ridiculous. Well, on. I mean, I don't know how I'm not a home run hitter. Well, Babe Ruth did it. He did not. Oh, you're saying that Babe Ruth was a liar? I'm not calling him a liar, but he wasn't stupid enough to promise, too.
0: Well, maybe I did overextend myself.
2: How the heck did you get in
3: here, anyway? <laughs> right. He deserves it.
2: Everybody's a winner on this one,
3: except for the Reds. Episode six The reviews are in. After Bobby's commentary makes him look like a buffoon. Oh, wait, Bobby making commentary that makes him look like a buffoon? That's not unlike Bobby. McKinney offers him some pointers. Playing himself in this episode, Vlade Divac. Put some respect on that name.
1: Basketball Hall of Famer Vlade Divac.
3: That's right, because, yeah, he would be with the Lakers at this time. His second year, I think.
2: Yep. Play with A.C. Green and our thing.
3: Well, you know what A.C. Green was most famous for.
2: Oh, no, Greg. Oh. No, no, no,
3: no. I'm no, not going to say, but no, you, no, you no. all know. You all know what he's most famous for. And if you don't know what he's most famous for, look it up.
1: I'll just say he was like the opposite of Wilt Chamberlain. Well, I'm not wrong. No. I did No, AC Green is known for
2: his uh, uh... three championships.
1: Yeah, three championships. <laughs> yes, yes, Chico. Hey, sure, we'll we'll go we'll go that route, Chico. That's
3: fine. His three championships. Is that how we're referring to it as? His three championship rings, because he has more than that than the other. If you know what I mean. Okay, episode seven. A kiss is just a kiss. A case of Bobby on the brain makes Gail's work suffer, so Rappaport pulls her off the show. But, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, guys. Plant playing herself. Speaking of the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, Mord shot. Well, if we want to take a positive out of this, Oh, yeah, the Reds had just won the World Series the year before.
1: That's the positive. That's the only positive I can put on this. The Reds did win the World Series in 1990. Yes.
3: And that's the only thing positive we'll say about Mork's shot.
1: Can we talk about her dog taking a crap on the field, though? <laughs> yes, we can. Yes, we can. Totally we can. Take- let's, let's talk more about that. Shotzi laying a deuce right on the field. <laughs> During batting practice. At Riverfront Stadium? At Riverfront Stadium, yes.
0: Oh, jeez.
3: But okay, this show, after this episode, was unfortunately placed on hiatus. And do you know when they brought it back, guys?
2: I'm guessing sometime when the season was over. Yes, they brought it right back on May 27th.
3: Yeah, that just doesn't scream, yeah, let's burn the rest of this off, doesn't it? We'll get to the rest of the episodes in a bit. But first, let's listen to these 1991-era commercials.
2: We'll be right back. Good Sports.
0: Sponsored by CoverGirl Cosmetics. CoverGirl. Redefining Beautiful. Uncontrollable, unstoppable, inescapable, the ultimate weapon is about to meet its match. Jim, you're about to be brought in on this country's best kept secret. She's activated. Dear God. What do you mean she's activated? Gregory Hines, Eve of Destruction, rated R. Starts Friday, January 18th at theaters everywhere. With the wedding off... Oh, you're not getting married? Maybe it's the best. Has Sumner found a new friend? Linda, right? On Notch Landing, next. On January 27th, witness the most amazing performance in football history. One superstar will suit up and play his heart out. The legendary Ray Charles. Uh Uh You got the right one, baby. Uh Tune in and pay attention to which team I'm playing for and get a chance to become one of 3 millionaires. Uh-huh. You got the right one baby. Uh-huh. How many times have
1: you gone to a sale and said to yourself, you kidding me, this is all that's on sale? Well, get a load of the National Home Appliance Sale at Sears Brand Central, America's largest appliance sale with virtually every major brand on sale. GE, Whirlpool, Kenmore. Hey, get this Kenmore 10-cycle washer with America's largest usable capacity and 8-cycle Kenmore dryer and save 104 big ones on the pair. Right now at Sears Brand Central. But uh, hurry, Gotta go. before we get cleaned out.
3: Don't tell that to the Skins, the wildcard-winning Redskins, the two-time
0: defending champion 49ers, and he do this everything Saturday.
3: Welcome back. Now let's continue. Episode 8, a book is just a book. Frantic over having spent a $50,000 advance with no book to show for it. Bobby decides to write poetry to fulfill his contract. Yeah, because Bobby has to write a sequel to his Panty Raiders book. But he decides, you know what? I have to fulfill this contract. I got to fulfill this contract. So you know what? He decides, I'm going to write a book of poetry. And Yaya just go right on ahead. His poetry just sucks. It is the worst poetry you've ever heard in your life.
2: I don't know. I've heard J.J. Reddick's poetry.
3: Yeah, you're just saying that because he went to the other school.
2: No, no, I'm saying that because I actually have a sample of his poetry.
3: Well, I'll, trust <laughs> me, Bobby's poetry is worse than that. He looks like Langston Hughes compared to Bobby Tan.
2: Whoa! I said it! You said what you said, and you said it with the whole chest. Yes,
3: I did! Now, episode 9. Now, this directly followed episode 8, because when they brought it back for the summer, they had episodes 8 and 9 run back-to-back. So here's episode 9. The Cincinnati Kids. And Mike, you have the description for that episode? Bobby proposes to
1: Gale during an interview with Pete Rose. Uh oh! Talk about one gamble that didn't pay off.
3: <laughs> Hold on, Emilio, Charlie, do you have anything to say? Golf clap, golf clamp.
1: And also remember, this is about two years after Bart Giamatti banned Pete Rose for life because because he gambled. Yeah, he did. And also, as I told Greg and Chico a number of weeks ago, Pete Rose placed one of the first legal bets, if not the first legal bet on sports in the state of Ohio on the first of the year this year. And what did he bet it on? He bet it on the Cincinnati Reds winning the World Series this year.
2: Hey, are the Cincinnati Reds in any condition to win the World Series this year?
1: But if they are... That's going to be one nice payout. But also at the same time, now, admittedly, this other person is a little bit different than Pete Rose. But around the same time, Bernie Kosar put a bet on the Browns to beat the Steelers in Week 18 this year. Well, he bet $19,000 because he wore number 19. Not only did he lose the $19,000 because the Browns lost that game, but he also lost his job. (laughs) Uh, apparently there's some sort of rule saying that if you work for an NFL franchise
3: you can't bet especially on the team oh yeah because that happened to Miles Austin he lost his coaching job with the Jets
2: if I'm not mistaken isn't Bernie Kosar just uh, part of the broadcast team with the Browns
3: but he's employed
1: by the Browns
2: ah there's the rub
1: yeah because he does do broadcasts but he is under the employ of the Browns, not
3: the TV station. Well, that certainly sucks. But you know what? I don't understand. The NFL's like, hey, we can totally take all this gambling money from DraftKings. But don't you dare effing bet. I'll tell you what. They wish they were Mattress Mac betting all that money on the Astros last October.
1: Didn't Mattress Mac also place a bet on the Cowboys?
3: Yes, he did, and he lost a lot of money. So
1: he, there you go. He may have drawn up that last play with Ezekiel
3: Elliott as the center. Yes. Episode 10. Electricity. Gail's spirits are shut down when she learns that her boyfriend, who you remember was played by William Katt, is seeing someone else while Bobby needs some fast cash to get his electricity turned back on. But okay, this is the hilarious part. Okay, you ready for this? So Gail finds out that her boyfriend was seeing someone else because they show on the broadcast a picture of James Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. And who's in the front row at the Tokyo Tome watching this? Gail's boyfriend with another woman. Uh-oh. 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 This picture was seen on multiple wire services across the country of William Cat watching. <laughs> James Buster Douglas knocked the F out of Mike Tyson.
2: I think it's time for the other Susan now.
0: Oh, my goodness gracious, of all the dramatic things I've ever seen.
3: Episode 11, the moody blue swing. Gail and Bobby must take her ailing goldfish to the doctor and catch up on old times. Okay, so I did establish this in, like, one of the early episodes. Okay, Bobby gives Gail one of his goldfish because he has two goldfish that are brothers. And do you want to know what the goldfish are named? The goldfish are named Frankie and Valley. The thing you have to understand about Gail's boyfriend is he's a psycho environmentalist. He is a psycho environmentalist. You think that environmentalists are insufferable now? In 1991, he was the most insufferable environmentalist around. So, like, I guess he changed the water in the goldfish ball, and like, the goldfish got sick. So they have to, like, take it to a vet. To make sure it's all right. Meanwhile, Bobby's being seduced by this woman named Randy. Who desperately wants to go all the way with him in the shower. If you know what I mean.
2: Oh, Um, man. Is she a Jersey chaser?
3: Something like that. But you know who plays this woman who wants to get it on with Bobby? I do. Who is it, Chico?
2: Joan Severance.
3: Yes, and you know what Joan Severance's most notable role was to me?
2: Uh, the black scorpion?
3: No. Oh. She was the love interest to the Hulkster brother in No Holds Board. Oh, to you! Okay. Oh, to me. That means we have to put in... Are
2: you trying to tell me my money's not good enough for you? I find that a little hard to swallow, you jockass!
3: Thank you, Kurt.
2: Because she was in both Black Scorpion movies as the Black Scorpion. This was before sci-fi options, the franchise for a TV series played by somebody else.
3: But not that Black Scorpion who was played by Rick Flair in WCW to mess with Sting.
2: No, not that no, one. No. The other one.
3: The other one. Oh, episode twelve. <laughs> oh my god,
2: I'm breaking this title. <laughs>
3: okay all right let me read it out loud love means never having to say you're happy
1: get it for the uninitiated ryan o'neill
3: was in love story with gail and nick's relationship down for the count bobby hopes to replace him in the ring with help from george foreman this is where like nick is getting completely psycho with gail and it's like, it turns into like this dramatic movie of the week ish during the middle of this sitcom episode. And Gail just punches the shit out of him. <laughs> and I'm like, good. Take that, William Cat. But we'll find out more about that two episodes from now, episode 13. Oh, Bobby and Gail go on a date. Gail decides to date Bobby after her father, played by Howard Keel, bestows his blessing. Now, Chico, do you have any information about Howard Keel?
2: I do have information about Howard Keel, actually. He was best known for playing Adam in the 1954 original Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. But perhaps even better known than that. He was on 265 episodes of Dallas. Dallas. Playing Clayton Barlow
3: Yes. Playing himself in this episode. And this was a big year for him. Terry Pendleton.
1: Never thought we'd get a Terry Pendleton reference on this podcast, would you?
3: Yeah. Well, remember, he had just signed to Atlanta because... He had a terrible, it's mentioned in the episode, he had a terrible 1990 with St. Louis where he batted like 230. And then he gets to Atlanta, he wins an MVP, and gets Atlanta to the series against Minnesota. And he's like a staple there for the next decade.
1: Oh, I remember TBS Sports back in the day when they showed primarily Braves games. Oh, they were fawning over him so much. Big time homerism.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, when you have Skip Carey there, of course. Biggest freaking homer at the time. Oh, but either way. This is CNN Breaking News. Yeah, did you hear Chip Carey is now the lead announcer for the Cardinals?
2: Good. I mean, he's nowhere near his grandfather, Harry Carey. But he's sure as hell not Skip Carey.
3: I don't know. Did you ever listen to Chip Carey when he was the lead announcer on TVS MLB from like the late 2000s?
2: No, the last time I remember him was working for Fox in the 90s.
3: Oh, just look up Tigers Twins AL tiebreaker. Oh god. I have a feeling di-
2: I'm going to re- I have a feeling I'm going to regret this, but I'm going to do this
3: and type in the words line drive
2: base hit. Four
0: times since
3: 2002. Line drive, base hit, caught out there. Runner tags. Here he comes. Throw the plate on target and in time. A double play
0: ends the tenth.
3: There's so much wrong with that call. He called it a base hit when it clearly wasn't a base hit, and he said the throw was off target, which it clearly wasn't off target. But it was in time.
1: And he's going to be calling plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. Boy, I'm going to have to listen to see how he butchers Lars Newtbar's name. <laughs> Lars Newtbar. Never thought you got a Lars Newtbar reference on this podcast, did you? Oh, nope. And Greg? Yeah? Because it's timely. Oh? Oh, yeah. Of course it's timely. I- I've been on the hunt for a box of triple threads baseball. Uh, because I wanted to use it uh, for my uh, financial literacy class, and I found one on Tuesday, and I bought it. And whose rookie card did I pull out autographed? Who? Lars Bar.
3: Oh, awesome. There you go. That's going to be our weekly segment, Chords Without Context.
1: Hey, you know, that's not a bad idea, because one of our followers on Twitter is also a follower on my baseball card slash autograph uh, Twitter. Yeah. And I know he listens to the show. He loves the show. Me and him, well, we didn't do a trade. I sent him a card about two weeks ago just to yes. say, hey, thank you for for for, uh, for subscribing to us on Twitter and thank you for listening to the podcast. So, yeah, Julio. Hey, buddy. Hope you enjoy the card and hope you enjoy the reference to the Lars
3: Newmark card. And say hi to Keith for me. Having a cameo in this episode in a non speaking role. Hey, Chico, it's the creator of the show. Alan Zwebel, yeah. Yes, he's next to uh, Bobby and Gail at the movie theater when they're watching a movie together. Here we go. Episode 14. This is where it gets real. Okay, you ready? Episode 14 The Return of Nick.
2: Oh no, I know where this is going.
3: Gale's emotionally wrecked ex might extinguish the flame of passion that's ignited between Gale and Bobby. And returning as himself is Richard Belzer. Now guys, you see the background behind me in my Zoom background. Do you want to describe what this is behind me?
2: It's a frightening clown. Oh sorry, that's William Cat's base.
3: That's William Catt doing his best impression of Malcolm McDowell in a Clark Work Orange.
2: There is no context that can make that less scary.
3: Oh, it is nightmare fuel.
2: This is cringe.
1: Is it just me, or do I see a little bit of Tom Baker in that photo?
2: Oh, yeah. It's just you. I see more Colin Baker than anything else.
3: Oh, I can see Colin Baker with the hair, but yeah, I could definitely see a bit of Tom Baker. Hey, if ever they did an American version of Doctor Who, I could totally see William Cat playing the Doctor at this time in '91. I could totally see it, but yeah, he like is an emotional wreck. He like has Gale and Bobby and Richard Belzer hostage because I guess Gale and Bobby are like guests on uh, this like late night movie show that Richard Belzer is hosting for the comedy channel. And he's got poor Elaine Smith and Brian Doyle Murray all tied up. Damn it. William cat. What are you doing? You can't do that to bill Murray's brother and Perry white. You can't do that.
2: I think he was sort of wrecked over the greatest American heroine backdoor pilot.
3: Oh yeah. We don't want to talk about the greatest American heroine.
2: Not yet, at least.
3: No. Oh, by the way, I forget what episode this was, but I forgot to mention. In, like, one of the episodes, Mr. Rappaport he wants to compete with the Goodwill Games. And oh so boy. he forms his own off-brand Goodwill
2: Games. I believe it was episode 12. Yes. It was. So it yeah, was the episode was... where love means never having to say you're happy.
3: Yeah. He forms his own off-brand Goodwill why would you have an on
2: Frank Goodwill games? Remember, this is supposed to be what happens when George Steinbrenner and Ted Turner have a child.
3: Yeah. And now the final episode. A class act. Bobby prepares a segment about a former football phenom famous for never playing pro ball because of emergency surgery.
2: Guys,
1: we gotta talk about this guy's name. The uh, person who's the former football phenom, Andy Highgate. I'm not even joking about this name. Listen carefully. Think about it. Rain or shine. (laughs) Spelling it, R-A-Y-N-O-R. That's the first name. And then shine. S-C-H-E-I-N-E. Rain or shine. His parents had a really wacky sense of humor. Or it might be a gimmick name. I'm looking and uh, let me uh, see if, if that's a, a gimmick name. Uh, yeah, it, it's a little bit of a gimmick because it says his alternate name is Rainer Johnson. So, uh, yeah, he was born as Rainer Johnson. But, yeah, he goes by Rainer Shine.
3: Oh, and he was in My Cousin Vinny. Oh, you know who else was in My Cousin Vinny? Fred Gwynn. Fred Gwynn. But Lane Smith was also in My Cousin Vinny. I actually want to rewatch that. I saw it's coming
1: up on one of the HBO channels this weekend. I'm just like on a Fred Gwynn high. I just love him as Herman Munster. And and obviously, if you've ever seen My Cousin Vinny, one of the best roles there. Talking about yep.
3: Utes. Oh, Ute's Too Ute. But, you know, it was all about Marissa Tomei in that movie. Let's be honest. Oh, it was about Marissa Tomei, yes. There's a reason but why she won the Oscar. B- but still, gotta give love to Fred
1: Gwynn, especially since he died, like, a year after this. Yeah, poor Fred After Gwynn. my cousin
3: Vinny. Yeah, we miss you, Fred. But that's the show.
2: So the question now is... Because, obviously, we have some comedic talent behind the show. And, obviously, we have comedic talent and chemistry between Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett. What happened?
3: I had never seen this show. It's weird, because you'd think, because I picked this as an Election Day episode, you'd think, okay, Greg, you probably have seen this. Actually, no, I hadn't. I just remember hearing about this show back in the day. I thought, ah, this will be fun to put as the Election Day show. But I watched it, and I'm like, oh, my God. This is, like, one of the most WTF shows that I've ever seen. I mean, it's 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 a crazy-ass show. I did not expect this to be crazy. The leads have good chemistry because, obviously, they were married in real life at one time. But it's like, okay, you got a solid supporting cast. You got Lane Smith. You got Brian Doyle Murray. It's like, you'd think on paper this would be a success.
2: Maybe. It has all the earmarks of a success. In fact, Paste Magazine actually says one of the 23 best TV shows about sports.
3: Which is not saying much.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the same list that has one tree hill. Don't figure.
1: Well, I think, as always, what we need to do is we need to play. Let's look at the schedule. Greg, I'm sorry. Uh, I think I know why good sports did not uh, work out too well. Why is that? As we said earlier, good sports premiered on the 10th of January in uh,
3: 1991.
1: Yes. It aired 9.30 p.m. on CBS. I'm not worried about what aired on ABC, but on NBC
3: Greg, yeah, it was up against wings that'll do it wings everybody loved wings because as we all know, I love wings so yes. of course I wouldn't be watching good sports I wouldn't watching be watching, w- watching
2: good wing. yeah you wouldn't, you wouldn't be watching good sports you'd be watching wings because I love wings you would watch The Flash, which comes on before this, and then once The Flash was over, you'd hightail it back over to NBC for more wings.
3: Yes, because it made Tony Shalhoub's career.
2: Yes. But seriously, if you were going up against NBC and you were a freshman series, lots of luck to you. (laughs) I
3: get it. Because we covered lots of luck last week. Second episode was January 21st. So when was it up in its regular time slot against?
2: Oh, I got the answer to that question. Oh, it was oh. still up
3: against Wings. It was still up against Wings oh. from what I saw. It was up yeah.
2: against the repeat of Wings.
3: A repeat of Wings on January
2: 21st. Oh, my God. It was a Monday night, and they put it after Murphy Brown, thinking it would bump up the ratings. And it did. But it was up against three movies. On ABC, it was The Last to Go. On NBC, it was Line of Fire, The Morris D's Story. And on Fox, the network television premiere of License to Drive.
3: That will do it! Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. People would want to watch that instead.
2: Except for Good Sports and Murphy Brown took the time slot.
3: Well... That's understandable. But, I mean, it was getting that sweet Murphy Brown lead, and so why did it, like, decline from there? Well, hold on. The third episode was January 31st. So let's see what happened on January They moved 31st. it back
2: to Thursday, thinking, oh, you know what? We got people watching the show on Monday. Let's move it back to Thursday and see what happens. No. I got rating numbers.
1: So for the first week, out of 74 shows, it was 48th, so bottom third. The second week, however, it got a bump. This was Super Bowl week. Maybe there was some special programming or counter-programming going against the Super Bowl. Even though it was Super Bowl twenty five, which we've talked about, we've raved about, that was one of the best Super Bowls ever.
2: Yeah, and that was on ABC.
1: It aired on ABC, yeah. It actually ranked 15th in the ratings that week. 15th.
2: Because it was on after Murphy Brown.
1: Well, and they call it a good sports special. I don't know if that was one with back-to-back episodes. No,
2: that was on after Murphy Brown.
1: Okay. Well, they just call it a special. I'm just saying they call it a special. So take it for what it's worth. It's a good sports special, air quotes there. And that was 15th out of 87 shows. But then for week three, as you said, let's move it back to Thursdays, 63rd out of 77. Ew. Well, I think the moral of the story here, and this is something that people know, even though this is like the end of the Thursday night run before it became must-see TV, you don't counter-program decent shows against that stuff. Even if it's going up against Wings, Wings, from what I've seen, was generally in the high teens to low to mid-twenties. But still, you don't counter-program against that whole block Cheers and A Different World and the Mr. Black show. You don't do that. Or at least you put your crap there. You don't put a really, really good show there. You're going to get married.
2: Yeah, especially that 8 o'clock half hour where in 1991 you're going to have or black up against the Simpsons. Nobody survives that half hour.
3: No. And then, okay, when they brought it back in the summer,
2: when did it air? Okay, it aired during the summer at ten o'clock, actually ten thirty after Dr. Doctor Doctor.
3: Oh, Jeez. That doesn't scream we're burning this crap off. We're burning it at 1030 at night.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. It gets worse. Uh, After two weeks on Mondays. They sent it to Saturday.
3: Saturday at 1030.
2: Yeah. And after two weeks on Saturday, they sent it back to Monday.
3: How could this have found an audience? I know this is like they're just burning it off, but I mean. Why 1030 at night? When have you ever seen a comedy at 1030 at night? On a Saturday, even. I mean, just 1030 at
1: night, but on a Saturday.
3: CBS was on a lot of drugs in 1991. They were like. We no, just wait, have... wait, no,
1: hold, on, hold on, hold on. I got an answer. I got an answer to that question. I do. You're talking about who airs a comedy at 1030 at night? Yes. Let alone on a Saturday? Okay. Well, part of its competition at that time was Carol and Company, the failed Carol Burnett show from that time.
3: Oh, you know who was on Carol and Company, though, guys? Do you want to take a guess? Carol Burnett? Well, yeah, Carol Burnett, but in the supporting cast. Okay, get ready, guys. Harry Kaiser was in the supporting cast of Carol and Company. Bernie! uh oh, Bernie! In so that case? Yeah. And we will cover Carol and Company at one point. But, yeah. Good sports. This did not stand a chance.
2: It did not and didn't get an official home video release, cannot watch it streaming officially. However, you can go to YouTube and stream the entire run unofficially. So good sports, then. It had the comedic chops, it had the chemistry, the one thing it did not have was a decent time slot. So, while you're watching Wings, this is becoming... A Thing on TV. Well, you can check the rest of our highlights and maybe some of our lowlights over at itwasathingontv.com. We have all of our live shows, all of our mini all of our regular episodes. So much stuff you can listen to all day long. And of course, we also have links to our socials at itwasathingontv. Except for Facebook, because... I don't know, whoever was in charge of handing out usernames died in the middle of a live broadcast. So they left us with It Was a Thing on TV podcast.
3: Yeah, William Caddy desperately stole It Was a Thing on TV from us, so we had to take It Was a Thing on TV podcast.
2: Yeah. Of course, we are available wherever all fine podcasts can be streamed. Remember, like, subscribe, rate, review. Five stars only, because positive vibes only. And if you are on YouTube, do not forget to smash that notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our entries, including our take, our salute even, to the upcoming big game coming up in Glendale in February. But it's not taking place in Glendale, No. it's taking place in New Orleans.
3: It's taking place in New Orleans, so... What happens when you have a team getting ready for the big game? But there's all sorts of murders happening all around the team.
2: Yes. Imagine an ensemble disaster film from the 70s on a TV movie budget.
3: Yes. And also, you have in the cast the ninth most effable woman in the world. And The Fugitive. And Tom
2: Selleck's oh. epic mustache.
1: Oh, we have much more than that, guys. Much oh, yeah.
3: more.
2: Yes. We
1: could spend probably half an hour going through all the stars.
3: Yeah, That's right. We could spend that whole half. This could be like a, as epic as Avatar The Way of Water.
1: So get ready for that star-studded lineup coming later this week on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Roar us out, Greg. Roar! Wow!
0: remembrances of love with wilt Chamberlain I love women I've had 20,000 relationships with beautiful fascinating women in my life eight a day since 1959 and all of them were special in their own way tonight, I remember Cheryl. Cheryl was number 13,906. Cheryl was so full of life, love and laughter. Oh, I can still smell her perfume even now. It was 1972, the year the Lakers and I went all the way, a special year all around. that long it just couldn't be any good <laughs> <laughs> that's terrific <laughs> oh well I'm such a big fan of yours oh what's there to say about me I play basketball but tell me more about you yeah well anyway I saw cabaret and set excuse me and that was excellent mm, this is good yeah can you imagine that both people were living in impossible times trying to make the best of an intolerable situation. Oh, I know. And how was that, Joe Gray? <sighs> the whole cast was excellent. I was totally head over heels for sure. Maybe I was feeling a little vulnerable. I was on the rebound from a previous relationship with the girl who was still in the bathroom. But there was no time for analyzing. I've always followed my heart. Cheryl, hmm? I don't know how to say this. It's like when we're together, it's just so right. Oh, I feel it too. Like, remember the time when we talked about cabaret? Uh-huh. Yeah, when you said that it was the making the best of an intolerable situation? Yeah, you're just so, so wonderful.
2: Oh, yes. Sir.
0: Got a game tomorrow in Cleveland. I could fly you in, and we could spend halftime together—just you and me. Oh, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> what do you mean? I tried to argue, but deep down inside, I knew Cheryl was right. It just wasn't there anymore. We had drifted apart, and we just couldn't keep faking it always remember you will How could I forget you Come in Mr. Chamberlain my brother is a really big fan of yours Oh, well please Come on in, sit down I want to hear more about you. I still got some french fries. Feel free. Next week, the heartbreak of number 9,687 on Remembrances of Love yeah. with Ruth Chambers.